Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. Have you ever been watching a TV show or driving or sleeping and you hear a loud piercing alert on your phone? It's likely one of two things, a severe weather alert or an amber alert. This story is incredibly sad and I wanna give a trigger warning because it involves a child. You guys already know I don't really like covering cases about children. I've only done two of them, I think. One was the Hart family and the other was Bianca Devins, who was 17. I wanted to get this story out there, especially because no one has ever been charged and the case is very cold at this point. It's also good for parents to listen to because Amber could have been anyone's child, grandchild, niece, or nephew. This is the case of Amber Hagerman. This story takes place in Texas in the year 1996. Some quick 1996 facts so you can kind of put yourself in that year. The movie Twister was in theaters. Ted Kaczynski, who was the Unabomber, was finally captured. The Summer Olympics were held in Atlantic, Georgia. Tupac Shakur was murdered. Bill Clinton was president. The Nintendo 64 was also released in 1996. It definitely seems like a lifetime ago. Amber Hagerman was a young girl born to her parents, Richard and Donna. At the time this story takes place in 1996, Amber is nine years old. She was a Girl Scout, and she had a younger brother named Ricky who was only five. The two were inseparable and very close. She was nine, he was five. They did pretty much everything together, but their favorite thing was to ride their bikes. On January 13th, 1996, Amber and Ricky were hanging out at their grandparents' house. Their house is in Arlington, Texas, so even though it's January, it's still pretty warm. The average temperature for Arlington, Texas in January is around 60 degrees, which sounds absolutely wonderful. It's a typical Saturday afternoon. Amber and Ricky ask their grandparents if they can go ride their bikes. Her grandmother says yes, but under one rule, they couldn't leave their block. Stay on the block. Do not go any further. Amber and Ricky set out on their bikes. They're pedaling along, and Amber tells Ricky that they're going to go a little further than what they were allowed. Just don't tell Grandma. They were still in their safe residential neighborhood. They go to the next block, and at the end, there is an abandoned Winn-Dixie grocery store. It had been closed up for about a year at this point. Now, the reason Amber wanted to go here is because part of the parking lot was this small makeshift skate park where the loading dock was used, that was the back door. Well, it had been converted into a ramp that skateboarders or bicyclists could ride off of. Sometimes older kids would hang out here, but today it's just Amber and Ricky there. Amber and Ricky are riding their bikes at this abandoned grocery store parking lot, and Ricky tells his sister that he wants to go back. He's afraid they're going to get in trouble, so he's ready to go, but Amber still wants to stay and ride a little while longer, so he leaves without her. Ricky pedals back to his grandparents' house, which is two blocks away, and they ask, where's Amber? He tells them where she is. The grandparents tell Ricky, you get back on your bike, pedal over there and tell her to get home right now. Ricky knows his sister is going to be in trouble, so he's feeling pretty bad. But remember, he is only five years old, so he can't really understand the magnitude of what is about to happen. He just knows he's got to ride over there and tell his sister, you got to get home. 
Grandma's upset with you. Ricky gets to the parking lot and he doesn't see Amber anywhere. He's looking around and all he sees is her bicycle laying where they were just riding. He's thinking, wait, she was just here like five minutes ago. Where did she go? Ricky pedals as fast as he can, the two blocks back to his grandparents' house. He runs in and he says Amber wasn't there. Grandma and Grandpa freak out. What do you mean she's not there? His granddad gets in the car and he flies to the Winn-Dixie. And as he pulls in, he sees Amber's bicycle laying on the pavement and also a police officer standing there next to it. And he knows this is not a good sign. This was what was found to have happened. This whole scene happened in eight minutes. Ricky tells Amber he wants to go home. Amber says she is going to stay and ride a while longer, then she'll go home. Ricky leaves and starts pedaling back towards the house. Well, an elderly man, and I'm talking like 80, 85 years old, who was outside at the time, said he saw a black pickup truck pull up next to Amber. The driver was a man who appeared Hispanic and under the age of 40. He got out and he grabbed Amber off of her bike. She begins screaming and kicking. He shoves her into the truck and drove away fast. It happened in about 15 seconds. The elderly neighbor called the police and told them what happened, and an officer who was in the area at the time goes to the Winn-Dixie and sees Amber's bike. Then her granddad pulled up. The police and volunteers are out searching for this nine-year-old girl for the next few days. They're looking for this black truck as well. The family is devastated and scared about what could have happened to her. They don't know if she's alive or dead. Four days after Amber was taken, a man was out walking his dog behind his apartment complex. This was five miles from where Amber was taken at the Winn-Dixie. Well, he stumbles upon the body of a little girl. The body is laying in a creek. He immediately contacts the police and they come out. They were able to confirm this was indeed nine-year-old Amber Hagerman. Next, I'll explain what the autopsy report showed happened to her. I want to give you a trigger warning because this is incredibly hard to talk about. The medical examiner determined that after Amber was taken, she was kept alive for two days. She was repeatedly raped and sexually assaulted. She was beaten multiple times and died from having her throat sliced. The medical examiner says in the two days she was kept alive, she was brutally tortured. He disposed of her body behind the apartment complex in the creek where she laid for two days before being found by the guy out walking his dog. Most of the cases I talk to you guys about are unsolved disappearances. This case is different because it's very clear what happened to her. She was kidnapped off her bike by a stranger. She was tortured over the next two days, and then her body disposed once this sick individual was done with her. I can't imagine the confusion and the fear and the pain that this nine-year-old Amber was feeling in those two days. It's incredibly heartbreaking, and no one deserves to ever have to go through something like that. 
The hardest part of trying to solve this case is the lack of evidence. There were no clues. Amber's body was naked in the creek with water rushing all around her and over her. So any of the killer's DNA was washed away in those two days. They also had a large storm in in those two days her body was laying there. So that made it even harder. Any trace evidence is gone now. I've talked to you guys before about the rules in forensics. Remember, the body is the most important piece. It can hold a lot of clues. If, God forbid, you ever find a body, you don't touch it and you don't move it. You aren't helping by doing that. You could contaminate it even by just having your footprints near the area because you could be disturbing the killer's footprints. The forensics team can get a killer's DNA through blood droplets, hair fibers, semen, even trace DNA from touching a body. So because Amber had water rushing over her for two days, all of that stuff is gone. Solving this case would be incredibly difficult when there's no evidence. The best case is that someone will eventually confess to someone what they did, and that person will go to police. But it's been almost 25 years now, and no one has come forward. Amber's killer is still out there today. We don't know who he is. He could be someone you walk past in the grocery store. He could be a contractor working on your house. He could be the guy sitting in the car next to you at a red light. He could literally be anybody. People who commit these types of crimes will usually do it again. The repeat offenders. Chances are pretty high that he's done this to others and those cases are unsolved as well. Or perhaps he was caught and he is in prison, but no one knows that Amber was one of his victims. The entire family is just beside themselves. Think of Amber being a member of your own family. You can't even process what they are going through unless you've been there. Amber's mother, Donna, decides that she can't sit tight and she wants to be sure that something will come out of this as a way to get justice for her daughter since the killer hasn't been apprehended. She thinks about what it would be like if everyone in town was notified when her daughter was taken and everyone had a description of the truck that she was put into. Remember, this is 1996, so people weren't walking around with cell phones unless you're a celebrity or like a rich businessman. Cell phones would be available to regular people for in a few more years. But at this point in 96, like a few people would have a car phone, but it was pretty rare. Donna calls a local radio station. She says, do you know how when there is a severe weather warning, you guys will interrupt the song and it plays and play a loud sound. And it says a tornado will be touching down in your area. Take shelter. The DJ tells her, yeah, we've been doing that a long time. She says, well, what if you guys did that for when a child is kidnapped? You could alert everyone that a child was taken and what the description of the vehicle is and people could look out for it. So the radio stations in the Dallas area decide to work with law enforcement to have a system in place where if a child is taken, they could give the radio stations the description of the vehicle and the radio station would stop the song or the commercial with this breaking news. So if you're driving, you could be notified of what kind of vehicle to look for. This Amber Alert system worked on the radio in the air in the area for a while. Eventually, it grew to interrupt television programs. Another case that is similar is the Adam Walsh case. You guys remember John Walsh's son who was abducted and killed when he was shopping with his mom. I think it was around 1981. 
After that, department stores started a code atom. I've been in Walmart when there's been a code atom. It's when a child is missing or abducted in the store. You run to an associate and tell them, and the store announces a code atom over the speakers, and all the doors are immediately locked. This has saved many children from being taken out of the store. On April 30th, 2003, President George Bush signed into law the PROTECT Act, which established the federal government's role in the Amber Alert system. The law appropriated $20 million for grants to the states for the development or enhancement of notification systems, so every state now has an Amber Alert system. As well nowadays, you will get an alert on your phone. It will only alert you if it's in your area. It won't give you an Amber Alert if the child is states away. In 2015, Facebook announced they would begin putting local Ambler alerts on users' news feeds and also in their notifications. Now, if you've ever scrolled on Facebook and seen a missing child in your area, the first thing you're going to see in the comments is 100 angry moms complaining about why wasn't there an Amber Alert issued. I see it all the time. It's at this point I politely remind them that in order for an Amber Alert to be issued, the situation has to meet certain criteria, which is the following. Number one, law enforcement has to confirm the abduction. Number two, Amber Alerts are not issued for runaways. You can't say my 16-year-old daughter ran off with her boyfriend and I can't find her. Yes, that is a missing person case for sure, but it doesn't qualify for an Amber Alert. Number three, the victim has to be age 17 or younger or be a developmentally disabled adult. Number four, the person has to believe to be an immediate life-threatening danger. And number five, you have to have enough info about the child or the captor to be able to give people a description. For example, if you got an Amber Alert on your phone and it said, be on the lookout for a black man driving a white car, people would panic and be driving every black man in a white car off the road. They would be pulling them out of their cars. So they need some kind of details that people could look for, such as a tag number or a make and model of the car. Once the criteria has been established, all five of those things, um, you know, that would qualify this to be an Amber Alert, then the authorities issue an Amber Alert, which includes descriptive information about the child, their captor, and the vehicle used in the abduction. Photographs of the child are also included. The alert is then distributed via billboards, radio stations, text messages, television and cable stations, websites, email, and social media notifications. I honestly feel like I have a whole new view on the Amber Alert system after talking about this case. I'll definitely feel different next time I get an alert. If Amber was a nine-year-old who was abducted in 2020, chances are she would have been found. Over 980 children have been safely recovered due to the Amber Alert system. If alive today, Amber would be 35 years old. Amber's parents and her brother Ricky, who is now 30 years old, have been interviewed countless times and they've been featured on a lot of TV programs. What they did for this country after the abduction of their daughter is so much to be thankful for. This doesn't bring their daughter back to them, but they know how many children her daughter has, their daughter has saved. Rest in peace, Amber. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care and much love to you all.